Shortstop Jordy Mercer got scratched from the Pirates lineup last night because of flu-like symptoms. And then Sean Rodriguez went out on the field and made everybody else throw up too. Tamiflu ain't going to cure that crap. Uh, A better backup shortstop would help. A better 25th guy, a legitimate major leaguer. That's the cure the Pirates need. This is the Mark Madden Show. I am a super genius with a tested IQ of 166, and you can't teach that. Bada-boom, smartest guy in the room. 412-333-9939 is the number to call, or follow me on Twitter, at MarkMaddenX. You know what happened, don't you? Rodriguez made an error right away. It led to an unearned run. And then he struck out in his first time at bat and then popped up with 2-1 in the fifth. He finished up 0-3 on the night, and Sean Rodriguez is now hitting 162 on the year. His batting average is 162, and my IQ is 166. So I currently lead that race by a relatively comfortable margin of four. I heard Greg Brown and Bob Walk on TV talking Rodriguez up when he batted. He's the heart of the clubhouse. They need to get this guy going. No, they need to DFA his ass. But like I said, if I had known Rodriguez and Polanco were both going to start, I'd have gone last night. Because playing Sean Rodriguez is the most honest thing the Pirates do. It is reaffirmation that the Pirates don't give a crap about winning and losing. Because if they did, you know who they'd play at shortstop when Mercer's unavailable? Somebody besides Rodriguez. Call somebody up. Go get somebody. Put Frazier there or Harrison. They're not really shortstops, but neither is Sean Rodriguez. Rodriguez has made three errors since last Thursday. And he's only started two games. That's a lot of errors in not very many innings. And you keep hearing all the BS. Like the announcer said, he's valuable in the clubhouse. And there's the excuse of the car wreck. His versatility, blah, blah, blah. The reality is, Sean Rodriguez is a bum. And he's killing the Pirates when he's in there. But hey, you can't even hurt the guy's feelings, let alone DFA him. So just keep on not trying to win because that's what you're doing every time you trot that bum out there. You're not trying to win. And by the way, the Pirates didn't win. The score was lost. Angeles 5, Pittsburgh nil. That's two straight losses for the Pirates via shutout. The Pirates have now lost 13 of 17 and are now back down to 500. Very few showed up last night. The paid attendance was 12,879. A fraction of that actually showed up. So, raise the Jolly Roger. There's a phrase in wrestling called killing the town. It's when your product has been so disappointing for so long that you have lost your audience for good. Chase the fans away 
for good. Have the pirates killed the town? Because attendance was down even through a pretty decent start to the season and has not picked up, and now they stink, so it's not going to pick up. Have the pirates killed the town? Is the trust irrevocably fractured? Will the people ever come back? Can anything fix it besides new ownership? Because that might be the case. Uh, today is the anniversary of D-Day, June 6, 1944, the invasion of Nazi Europe. Young men drafted in maybe the most risky military operation ever, and they got the job done despite 10,000 casualties on the day. Not too many of those guys are left, but hats off to those who are still around or would be Sprechensee Deutsch right now. If you lose on that day, you lose the war. I will talk more about uh, the Pirates and what I think is Quid Hurdle's gross mismanagement at this point. But right now, well, you're not going to like what I say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Ryan Shazier addressed the media today at the Steelers facility. And my question is, why? I'm glad he's getting better. I'm glad he can walk. But what's the point? Why does he need to address the media? He can't play. Does a feel-good story have to feel good in perpetuity? Now, Shazier says he wants to play football again. But boy, what a risk that would be. He's got screws and rods, reportedly, in his back. And I can tell you for certain, no doctor would ever clear Ryan Shazier to play football again. So that's just not going to happen. Shazier said he's going to coach, but how's he going to coach? He barely played in the league just four years. He shows up every day at the facility and does scouting and tape study. I don't understand that. I know he wants to stay involved, and maybe they can find some way for him to do it. But this all just seems, I don't know, forced? Like nobody will really tell him what's what? Here's a story uh, that occurred with another team in town. I won't say the athlete's name or the team. If you think hard, I would think you'll figure it out. An athlete on a Pittsburgh team got hurt very badly. Not like Shazier, but, you know, his season was over. And every day he went to the facility and just pestered the staff to help him get ready to come back, do everything they could to help him come back. And they finally had to say to him, look it, we got to pay attention to guys who were able to play right now. You're not really a priority for us. The Steelers got to be thinking that about Shazier, but I'm sure they would never say it. I guess it's up to him to figure out on his own. Again, the fact that he's walking is just a great story, but I think the story stops there. He's not going to play football again, and I don't know, the sooner he figures that out, I was going to say the better, Maybe not, but 
That's the reality. Uh, ben Roethlisberger showed up in OTAs today, so the world is back on its axis. Pursuta had a good question. Ben said that he skipped OTAs last week because he had a family vacation that had been planned in advance. And Pursuta goes, so I guess you didn't want to pay the airline change fees. Ben wasn't at OTAs just because Ben doesn't need to be at OTAs. And again, I point out the word time and again when it comes to OTAs. Optional. Say it with me. Optional. IHOP, the International House of Pancakes, is flipping the B. They're going to be IHOB. I-H-O-B, but they won't say what the B stands for. P stood for pancakes. We knew that. B could stand for, I don't know, biscuits, bordello, bacon, bratwurst, BS. They must really need a spark to do business because that's just, I don't get it. I would have thought the one thing they had going for it was the brand name. And now IHOP's going to change it. I'll tell you one brand name I never get tired of. Just received an email. Guess what has been released by the ever-popular adult video company, Jules Jordan? Mandingo Massacre, Volume 14. I saw a clip. It ain't bad. Now, Mandingo is a black performer. I didn't name him, so don't take exception. Mandingo is a black performer who is, uh, well, he's, well, put it this way. When he makes love, he doesn't make love. He massacres. So keep an eye out at your local adult bookstore for Mandingo Massacre 14, and it suddenly strikes me, sorry, Mrs. R. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. Have the pirates killed the town? I think that's a good question. Also, Max Scherzer of the Washington Nationals pitched what they call an immaculate inning last night. Nine pitches, nine strikes, three batters, three strikeouts. Not many guys have done it more than once. We'll talk about that. It doesn't relate to the Pirates. If it did, it would be more than one immaculate inning in a row. Nine pitches, nine strikes. 18 pitches, 18 strikes. Three batters, three strikeouts. Six batters, six strikeouts. I can only say that now because the Pirates have been shut out two games in a row. Actually, they've been hitting the ball pretty good, but it goes to show. Whatever can go wrong is going wrong. On the nights they pitch, they can't hit. On the nights they hit, they can't pitch. I'm Mark Madden, 105.9 The X. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Bubble M, huge fan, buddy. Your voice is like sweet nectar to my ears. Still of the night, still of the night, still of the night. The X at 105.9. Uh, William Carlson did not practice today for Vegas. So you wonder about his availability for Game 5 tomorrow night uh, at Vegas. And you also wonder if he's been playing hurt in this final, which would explain his invisibility. Uh, more on the Stanley Cup final with Mike Rupp of the NHL Network live from Las Vegas 
in just about 15 minutes, 3.30 bottom of the hour. And up, KISS is apparently ready to announce they're going to go on a three-year farewell tour. A three-year farewell tour. Okay, I'm not going to do what I did with Skinner and buy tickets for what looks to be the last date because they'll just keep on adding dates. And then after they complete the three-year farewell tour, and I believe this is KISS's third or fourth farewell tour, they'll just do it again. I still wonder if eventually there's going to be a kiss without Simmons and Stanley. If they put different guys in under the makeup. I don't think it would work, but I do think if any two guys would try it to keep bringing in the money while they sit at home, it would be Gene and Paul. Uh, A bunch of guesses regarding uh, what the B stands for when they flip the IHOP logo from IHOP to IHOB, somebody said boobies. I would like that. Like a Hooters, but for breakfast. But but it seems logical that the B will stand for breakfast. But but I don't see the point. Pancakes are breakfast. They're going to try to emphasize they have omelets and waffles too. I would think that people might have figured that out on their own. I just wouldn't change the brand name. Uh, I'm getting tweets saying I'm too hard on Sean Rodriguez. No, I'm not. Most of you are not hard enough on an organization that puts profit over winning and does so to a degree that prematurely slammed its own window shut after the 2015 season. And you are so easily fooled. The Pirates don't spend money, but last year they spent money to bring back the water cooler guy as a PR move after he was in a car wreck and you bought a hook, line, and sinker. And now the guy stinks and you say, don't boo him. Frig that, frig him, and frig you. Boo Sean Rodriguez out of the building. He's a bum, and he should be DFA. Maybe Young Ho Gung gets called up soon from Bradenton uh, and takes Rodriguez's place. Oh, uh, Gung said he quit drinking. I don't believe that for a second, but he says he quit drinking. Uh, I want to get back to... Clint Hurdle's little league style of managing the team. Everybody gets to play three innings. Well, not exactly, but but listen to this. Since Starling Marte came off the DL, Marte has started eight games. Dickerson has started seven games. Meadows has started seven games. And Polanco has started seven games. So Hurdle is playing Polanco who ranks last among those four guys in batting average, on base, and slugging. Hurdle is going out of his way to make sure Polanco gets to play, and that's obviously at the expense of better players, and so also at the expense of the team. How can Hurdle possibly justify that? Marte's numbers are the worst of the three legit performers in the outfield. Polanco did last in all the numbers. His batting average is 87 points lower than Marte's. On base percentage, 30 points lower. Slugging is 64 points lower. Uh, Meadows, by the way, is the leader among outfielders in all those categories. Meadows, Marte, and Dickerson should play pretty much every day. Polanco should play only 
the occasional game. I'm getting more Rodriguez tweets. Oh, it was so terrible when he got booed last night at PNC. Good. I'm glad. He stinks. He should get booed. People are whining. Oh, he hasn't been the same player since the car wreck. Okay, if that's true, why did the Pirates trade for Rodriguez? They traded for Rodriguez after the car wreck. Anyway, who cares about the car wreck? You survived. If you can't cut the mustard moving forward, quit. It's a business. You got to win. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. International House of Boobies. I really do like that. We got more Steeler talk coming up. Sports Illustrated posted an early preview of the AFC North. Sports Illustrated called the Steelers vulnerable, but still picked the Steelers to win the division, which is exactly how I feel too. I think they are vulnerable. I don't think they'll be quite as good as last year. I think that defense gives them zero chance to win the Super Bowl, but I still do think they'll win the division. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. Up next, we talk Stanley Cup Finals with our man on the scene in Vegas. No doubt in a house of ill repute right now. Well, no, actually in Vegas it's different. You have to drive away from town for the house of ill repute. In Vegas, the ill repute comes a-knocking at your door. Mike Rupp next, 105.9. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. This is Bob Hope. Hi, this is. How you doing? Oh, boy, hey, uh, you know what? Why this? Call back when you're coherent. The X at 105.9. Joining me now live from fabulous Las Vegas, Stanley Cup winner Whit New Jersey, former Penguin, now with the NHL Network, it's Mike Rupp. Rupper, is Vegas dead, or can they come back from being down three games to one? I certainly think they can come back. I think when you look at it's funny the way this game works uh, of hockey, where they lose game three, three to one, and on the outside you're thinking, well, that was a close game, it was 3-1. Game four was 6-2, and it looks like they got blown out. But they had no business really even being in game three. But game four, I think they deserved to win that game the way they they played. A, a lot of it, they just couldn't score, and they weren't efficient. They had, uh, they had 71 shot attempts in that game. They had a ton of them blocked. Missed the net on about 17. They had 30 shots on goal. Um, well, 24 blocked shots for the Washington Capitals, which usually means you don't have the puck very much. So uh, although 24 blocks for the Caps is... You know, a good stat, it also means you're playing defense a lot. So uh, they were all over Washington in parts of the game, just couldn't score. And um, that's just kind of the nature of the game. But this team is, we're talking about a team that won four in a row against the Los Angeles Kings. I'm drawing a blank. Did they win three in a row against San Jose? Three or four in a row against San Jose. Then they won four in a row against the Winnipeg Jets. So this team could certainly do it. The game's coming around. I just don't know if they're running out of time. They obviously need to start being a little more efficient as far as with their chances, getting some gold out of it. How badly did that miss by James Neal deflate Vegas in Game 4? That may be the key moment of the series, Rupper, uh, behind Holtby's save in Game 2. I agree. I think those two are the, the two biggest parts of the series so far. Um, 
man, this, when you saw it in full speed, this play this play happens. And, and, and I don't know if it, at first I was thinking maybe the defenseman got a stick on it and just changed the direction a little bit of it. But James Neal misses this this one right there. And um, it changes everything. It changes absolutely everything because uh, it's it would have been giving them a lead. And, and we know how important that is to – you get a lead in not, not only giving them a lead rupper, it would have given them a lead during a period when they were dominating play, and it's easy to imagine one goal becoming two or even three, isn't it? It is, and is, and that's how they're playing. They're playing well enough to to do that. You, you also pull the crowd out of it a little bit, um, and you get at the end of the day, you get you get rewarded for for playing hard and, and, and doing doing the things right. And they're doing a lot of things right, but then all of a sudden it goes down the other way, and you had a couple of post ups at that point. James Neal's one of them. Um, dominating play, and then T.J. Oshie gets one on the power play just from a skate to a stick and, and chips it in the net, and it's so deflating because you deserve so much better. So there's no moral victories this time of year, but uh, that one was uh, that one hurt them a lot. Has Marc-Andre Fleury played bad, or has his defense hung him out to dry? Defense has hung him out a lot, a lot. I, don't, I mean, I don't think he's up to par where he's been in the prior rounds, but it's funny, I was talking to you know Kevin Weeks at NHL Network here, and, and just trying to get from the goalie perspective. And I, the one thing that always jumps out to players, and when, we, when you're watching a goalie, you know we always hear when goalies uh, on a routine shot when it's the puck sitting in their pad somewhere, and they look behind them. The automatic thing that comes up is, oh, he's not confident. Let's throw everything on that. He's looking behind him. He's not sure if he has it. And then there's the other side of it where goalies come flying out on their angles, and that's a confident goaltender. Well, Flowers should be confident coming to the Stanley Cup Finals, but he has been early on in the series flying out on his angles. And we saw Washington making a making a big point of moving that puck east-west. We've seen Ovi turning away chan- uh, shooting chances to move this puck east-west, and it's bit Flower a few times because now well, you know the, you've got players that have an empty net they're looking at because Flower comes out so far on the one angle, and I think he's kind of in between now because he went from being so confident. So now second guessing it, and now he's sitting back a little bit more, and he seems to be a little bit in between. But there's been some really poor defensive zone play in front of him, and uh, the the shots from the danger areas have been through the roof in the Stanley Cup Finals, and they just weren't there in the first three rounds. By the way, I to clarify the winning streak thing for Vegas, they've had two five game winning streaks during these playoffs, which is incredible. So to count them out in this final, uh, I think I agree. I think it would be a mistake. Now. How can Vegas fix it? What does the coach, Gerard Gallant, what does he do to try and turn this around? Or do you just go out and play and, and do what you've been doing? I think you've got to say to them, say to the guys, listen, we're, we're not that off. We're not that far off. Um, it, it, it's right there. We just got to bear down and get it done. I mean, I think that, you know, you come out with that same start you had in, in game four, um, you, you, you expect to have better better results and i would expect them to do that especially with the home crowd here in vegas and and it's i think it's about staying the course but you certainly need to tighten up defensively because some of the chances that washington is getting they might not be getting a ton of them but they're getting some where they're they're pretty much empty nets that they're chipping this puck into and and they're just not doing a great job of clearing the front of that getting stick on puck and lifting sticks in front and it's just the chances Washington are getting are absolute great A's. They might only get five of them in a game, but they're converting on three or four of them, and uh, you, you can't have that. I think Vegas' first line has to do way more, Rupp, or, uh, 
Carlson Smith and Marchessault have been mostly invisible, and today Carlson didn't practice, so you wonder if he's been playing hurt. Yeah, that line hasn't been. Uh, last game, I thought they were really good in those first 10 minutes, um, but they've been unnoticeable in the, in the, in the first uh, in the first three games. And the second line was even worse in the first three games. Uh, and he made the big switch with David Perron out of the lineup, moving Alex Tuck up with Eric Halla and James Neal. And I thought that line was really good in game four. So they need that line to be really good, again, because that, that line has been so big for them in the playoffs, both of their top two lines. And when you look at it, we always talk about top lines kind of canceling themselves out. Well, that hasn't been the case. I mean, the Washington's best players have been their best players, and actually all their role players of Washington Capitals have been better than the stars of, of Vegas. So that's a problem. I mean, when we sit here, we could talk about Kuznetsov and, and T.J. Oshie and Alex Ovechkin, Nick Backstrom all day long, but I think this series has been – where it's been separated is we've got guys like Devontae Smith-Pelly, um, Jay Beagle, uh, Tom Wilson. These guys have been bit better than Jonathan Marchessault and and uh, William Carlson. You can't have that. You can't expect to win when that's happening. Does this series emphasize how much you need a number one defenseman to win the Stanley Cup? Because Washington has one in Carlson and Vegas does not. Yeah, I think so. I think so. You, you have that um, from the offensive side. John Carlson's been been great, and I thought he's been great on the power play too. Because they Vegas is, if you watch the way they play Ovi on the power play, they don't play any any other guy in the league that the way they play Ovi on the power play. They, they had Patrick Laine who had forty three goals this season last round, and they 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 don't treat him they don't treat him special, and they treat Ovi special, and they should. But they're going over there, and now John Carlson has had. I think the one game he had, uh, well, I know the one game he had 12, I think it was in game three, he had 12 attempted shots on goal. And six of them ended up getting getting through a couple posts. He's feeling it, and uh, that, that's huge. But I also think Matt Niskanen has been a beast in this series. He's led this, this D in ice time uh, in a number of the games, being over 27 minutes in two of them. Uh, he's, been, uh, he's been a shutdown guy. He's doing a little bit of everything, and uh, it, it's been it's been a huge difference maker. On the other side, when you look at Vegas, there hasn't really been. And, and coming in the final, Shea Theodore has been a great story, but he's kind of lost out there in the finals. He's he's had some really revealing moments in the D zone, and you wonder if a young kid at 22 can can uh, be strong between the ears and get that back under the wraps for the next next game. We're talking to Mike Rupp here on the X Live from the Stanley Cup Final. Kuznetsov has 31 points. That's a ton. Is he the MVP right now, or does Ovechkin get it based on scoring 14 goals combined with lifetime achievement? Um, it's great storyline for Ovi, but it's got to be Kuzi. Um, he's been the absolute difference maker for the Caps. I mean, we've said it on on air at NHL Network, and and I'm never I'm not there to compare Ovi and Kuznetsov to. Crosby and Malkin, I, I, I don't think that that's a comparison overall. But what they're doing in the playoffs right now, I would say it's it's comparable for a playoff run, what Kuzi and, and Ovi are doing together. Um, and that's the difference. That's why this team is where they're at. We know about all the intangibles and those depth players I just mentioned before. But the real thing is is that Ovi now has his Evgeny Malkin, and that's that's Evgeny Kuznetsov. And uh, it's been the difference maker. And so he, he, he for me, is the consmite. Washington has obviously saved its best for last. How do you do that? How do you peak at the right time? I'll be honest, Rupper, it mostly strikes me as luck, but you need luck too. 
Yeah, you know what I think this team's done a really good job of, and I, I was looking at it going into game three in Washington, is usually in that situation, especially for a team, you got a series tied at one. You're going back home where you've been, I think, what, they were four and five at home coming uh, coming into the finals, and they weren't exactly lights out there. They, they needed to establish that, and usually in those situations, you're telling guys, hey, guys, listen, let's, we got to keep our emotions under control. We're at home here. We know the fans. We know the crowd. Um, we got to simplify. And, and I also think, though, you don't say those things, Alex Ovechkin. I think he's a guy. I don't know if there's more of an emotional player that we've seen as far as the way he approaches the game. I think you let the reins off him, and you don't have that conversation. And, and I thought Ovi in that first, his first shift, which was the second shift of the game in game three, he was running around hitting everything that moved. He was showing early on in that game. He's shooting every puck he can. And when you have a guy like that, your leader doing that, I mean, it, it pretty much just drags everybody else into the fight. And I, I think it's gone a, a long way because this team has peaked at the right time, but they're playing on emotion. And a lot of times you try to take some of the emotion out of it at this time of year. And I don't think that that's a, a good thing to do all the time, especially when you have the personnel like the Washington has. In Pittsburgh, we're rooting for Flurry, But it's like we forgot about Brooks, Brooks Orpik, and he's having a decent final for Washington, isn't he? He is. He is. It's been kind of it's been kind of funny. Like his minutes have fluctuated. Uh, he was around twelve minutes in game one, and then he got spiked up to nineteen minutes in game two. And uh, you know that game two was obviously their their first win of the series. And and I been something I've been paying attention to because they the Caps have been really kind of just going with a four man D unit. But but Orps when he's gotten in there and he's been called upon, he's defended. And he's defended really well. And he, he might not do some of the things that he's used to do in the past in, in Pittsburgh, but the one thing he does know how to do is he knows how to frustrate guys and to uh, get under their stick and get in their face and block shots and, and do those things. So he's been he's been awesome. I, it's been a, a real uh, pleasant surprise seeing him kind of dating back a number of years. And when he gets the minutes, he's been he's been locking locking them down. Rupper, I kind of feel like Vegas wins Game Five tomorrow night at Vegas. How about you? I do too. And and here's the interesting thing. And I've never been, so I can't speak to. I've never been down three one or up three one in the Stanley Cup Finals. But I will say this. And when I was in Pittsburgh, there we had first round against Tampa Bay Lightning. We were up three one. We ended up losing that in seven. And the mentality, it's it could switch very fast. You obviously think about one game at a time if you're the Vegas Golden Knights. But you win a game five. Now you go to Washington. And the pressure now is solely on Washington because game sevens are a scary thing because not always the best team wins. And I know from my experience in, in, in Pittsburgh there that when, they, it, say, Vegas wins game five, you're thinking on the Washington standpoint, ah, okay, we've got two more games to get one of them here. And, but then you start thinking, oh, my gosh, if we lose this next game. It goes to that game seven and it's on their home ice where they've been dominant all year. I mean, Vegas has two of the last three on home ice. Um, I think a, a big win tomorrow really puts a lot of pressure on Washington. We've seen them answer it. They look like a different team than they've done, been in the past, but you never know if the old skeletons will come out of the closet and in a situation like that uh, when the pressure really gets on them. Rupper, what are your plans for tonight in Vegas? Big plans? Big plans. Uh, I got a few. I got a few chips left from my last time here, so I got to go use those up. Go and uh, go and have fun, and uh, just uh, yeah, just uh, experience Vegas a little bit. Does Weeksy gamble? 
Ah, uh, no, no, he doesn't. he doesn't. I didn't think so. so. Uh, he didn't strike me as a gambler. No, I, I don't either. But I feel like that's one of the things I need to do while I'm out here. So to say that I sat down <laughs> at a table is, is oh, Rupper, you know. there's a lot of things you need to do while you're out there. But uh, <laughs> but but you're a we'll married keep, we'll man. Keep it, we'll keep it at sitting at a card table. <laughs> you're a family guy after all, Rupper. Great stuff as always. We'll wrap it up next week. Awesome, thanks, man. That's Mike Rupp live from Las Vegas, doing a great job. Uh, those guys, Weeksy, all those guys doing a terrific job covering the Stanley Cup on the NHL Network. Well, the Pirates starting lineup for tonight has been released. Starting at shortstop and batting eighth, Sean Rodriguez. I'm going to talk about that at length just around the corner here on the X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Super genius, big fan, big fan. Hashtag best in the world. You are the super genius. <laughs> I'll say. And then some. The X at 105.9. I broke the shocking news just moments ago that Sean Rodriguez will be starting tonight at shortstop for the Pirates. Jordy Mercer still has flu-like symptoms, so despite making three errors since Thursday, despite going 0 for 8 with three strikeouts in that time, despite Josh Harrison being able to play shortstop, and Adam Frazier being able to play shortstop, I mean, that's not ideal, but neither is Rodriguez at shortstop, obviously. Despite all those factors, Sean Rodriguez will start at shortstop for the Pirates tonight. Hurdle is playing Rodriguez to prove that Hurdle is right and that Rodriguez has value. This is Hurdle proving who's boss, and it ain't you or me or the stats or what's actually happened, it's Hurdle, and he's going to play Rodriguez just because he wants to play Rodriguez. There's no way you could point at and say it's the right thing to do. Not with a week of abject failure under Sean Rodriguez's belt. But whatever. I don't care if they win or lose, and apparently neither does Clint Hurdle. No quarter brought to you by CW Electrical Services. Make the switch at CWElectricalServices.com. We haven't had time to take any calls, what with Mike Rupp joining me last segment and all these scintillating issues I felt the need to discuss. But uh, I want to uh, kind of reset Ryan Shazier meeting with the media today and saying he intends to play football again. I just don't see how that's possible. He has rods and screws in his back. It would be a terrible risk. No doctor would ever cure him, to, uh, clear him, pardon me. No doctor would clear Shazier to play football again. And I doubt the Steelers would want him to take that risk or allow him to take a risk on their team. Uh, it's time for Shazier to fade into the background a little bit. It just is. He's not going to play ever again. I don't see him as a coach. I just don't see what role he plays. 
other than, frankly, a mascot. So, uh, I understand him addressing the media today. It should have been for the last time. And moving forward, like I said, he should just fade. Some other Steeler talk. Remember uh, Mike Adams, second-round pick for the Steelers, who sucked the offensive tackle? Well, he didn't play in the NFL last year, so he lost 68 pounds, and now he wants to come back to pro football as a tight end. Maybe he can suck at that, too. Mike, if you're listening, I got three letters for you. XFL. And you might not even be good enough to to play there. Uh, Bud Dupree, the linebacker, is inexplicably bragging. He was talking to ESPN about his vast talents and said, quote, the ceiling I have, I'm nowhere near reaching that yet, unquote. Dupree is right, although not the way he meant it. Uh, Dupree said he wants to be one of the most talked about linebackers in football. Okay, but uh, don't you have to play good for that to happen? Well, or get arrested. One of the two. You have options. Uh, I wrote a column in the trip talking about these Steelers' off-season quasi-controversies and about how the defense stinks. Mike Hilton, the nickel, talking about how the Steelers might put seven defensive backs on the field this season, using two defensive linemen, two outside backers, and seven defensive backs. Okay, if that's true, you need seven better defensive backs than the Steelers have. As I've said repeatedly, Pulamalu retired. That hybrid safety slash linebacker, you really got one of them? You don't got Pulamalu. You got Terrell Edmonds and Cam Sutton instead. Although, that guy from Green Bay, Morgan Burnett, he is getting rave reviews so far. You know who can help figure it out is Tom Bradley, the new uh, defensive backs coach. Great defensive mind. He was defensive coordinator at Penn State and UCLA. And he can help fix it if Keith Butler wants him to. Uh, Bradley's a defensive wizard. And I hope the Steelers make full use of him as a resource. I remember Sirius, excuse me, Sirius. My abbreviations are askew here on my notes. Remember Sports Illustrated did that story on Luke Heimlich, the pitcher at Oregon State, who has first-round talent, legitimate big league stuff, and then some. But he was a sex offender in his youth. Well, he didn't get selected on day one of the MLB draft. That situation is such a catch-22. I believe in second chances, and I'd like to see the kid get one, but I definitely would not draft Heimlich if I owned or ran a Major League Baseball team. Too much bad PR, and I can see where the clubhouse wouldn't like it either. He admitted to molesting his niece when, what was it, he was 15 and she was 6, and now says he did. Says he uh, pled guilty to to make make the wheels turn quicker and to to get it off his record as quickly as possible, which it is now. It's been expunged, but everyone knows about it. Uh, I'm watching the Larry Sanders show all the way through on DVD while on the treadmill. I, I watched it in dribs and drabs first run on HBO, but now every episode, one after the other, 
It is so, so brilliant. I can't even describe how good. It's so good, I look forward to getting on the treadmill. For an old fat guy, boy, that must be good. Hey, now. We got Anthony, Will, and Mike on hold. We'll get to them in a second. But in 30 seconds, I'm going to talk about the immaculate inning. 1059 the X.